This Wednesday at 9 p.m., we hear the stories of the legendary little people of Native American folklore. We learn how the Makiwisug save young, dirty clothes, how you might stumble onto gnome slapstick if you forget your binoculars, and why you should listen to the ugliest creature you have ever seen. We're also joined tonight by guest Troy, a good friend of ours, and completely gullible believer in anything. Welcome, Troy. I can confirm that. Hello. Yep, that's me. I am... I believe anything you guys will tell me. I also wanted to give a special shout out to Troy, um, guest and loyal listener of this podcast. Uh, Troy, if you're out there, um, we love you, buddy, and thanks for tuning in. <laughs> Before we get into stories, some really quick announcements. First, remember to like and subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on. And on our website, Wednesday9pm.com, you can leave feedback on each episode. There's a form at the very bottom of each episode's page. Type something funny in it, submit it. I thought maybe, you know, if we see any funny submissions, maybe we'll read them out loud on some episodes. Wow, we're starting to sound like a real podcast now. I know, right? Like and subscribe. Oh, yeah, and leave leave good reviews. Someone left a, like a one-star review on Apple Podcasts at the very start, and that kind of like just dropped it down. So I got my, my siblings to <laughs> give good reviews. <laughs> so... <laughs> Support us, also, all you 17 people. We're looking for sponsorships. Any companies that want to sponsor us? Yes, if, if Sobe Lifewater is out there. Pata- if Sobe Lifewater wants to sponsor us, we will not accept anyone else and you will be our sole sponsor. This episode is sponsored by the Shadow Government. It is sponsored by the Shadow Government, yes. But they don't, they don't give us nearly enough uh, Bitcoin. <laughs> so, we're going to start off with some very brief background. I want to provide some context to the stories that I've gathered you guys here for tonight. Cultures across the world, throughout all of recorded history, and probably even before that, have passed down legends of little people. Ireland, Greece, the Philippines, the Hawaiian Islands, New Zealand, Flores Island. Does that ring any bells? Intro the bio? Oh, yeah. Indonesia, the Americas, they all have their own unique legends of little people. And so when I say little people, I'm not talking about modern-day humans with dwarfism, the medical condition. I'm talking about, instead, the idea of a legendary, and I put legendary in quotes just because I want to emphasize, I just mean that there are legends written about these things, not necessarily whether they're real or, or fictional, but there are legends, of a race or multiple races of human-like creatures that vary in their exact details, but are typically very, very short. As in like between one to three feet tall. So sometimes you hear stories where they're even smaller than a foot. And beyond that, they're often associated with supernatural behaviors, abilities that transcend like the physical realm, right? So that's what we're talking about. Not When you think of this, you might think immediately of gnomes or elves. And those are the European terms for those sorts of creatures. Uh, but today we're going to focus more on Native American stories, just because that's more local to us here in the Northeast. But I just find it very curious that many, many different cultures that have been divided by time and geographically have come up with the same sorts of legends of little people. So there's something to keep in mind. What do you guys know about Homo floresiensis? You remember that? Oh, From Intro to Bio? Oh, yes. Professor, uh, Han- yeah. Professor Hannah taught us well. Yeah. Aren't they like really small humans like i don't know where they branched off in the evolutionary tree but they branched off from humans and they're like on this island i guess yeah so the flores islands in indonesia 
there are records that according to the current scientific consensus, I think this is based off like one skeleton, maybe two, not even complete, right? Like a, a tooth and some bones. We believe that Homo floresiensis is an extinct species of small ancient human that's at about three foot seven and even lived on that island until the arrival of modern humans like 50,000 years ago. So there is a historical record for actual little people and their details don't really match. Uh, you know, there's no, there are no stories of, you know, there's no evidence of those people doing any supernatural stuff, but it's just something to point out. And there are African pygmies in Central Africa, mostly the Congo Basin, who are alive and well today. There are about a million pygmies who are on average less than four foot, 11 inches tall. So today, like I said, I chose to focus the stories on New York. And of course, I'm going to be talking about the Catskill Mountains because I love the Catskills. <laughs> so Troy, uh, yes. do you know the Catskill Mountains region of New York? I do, actually. I've gone hiking there several times with uh, Boy Scouts. And, I mean, oh, have Catskill's you ever, great this name. is totally off the top of my head, have you ever gone to North South Lake Campground? Um, It does not ring a bell, but possibly. Bear Mountain? Bear Mountain sounds familiar, but it's a pretty plain name, so... It could just be the Mandela effect. Probably a lot of your mountains. Yeah, that's fair. So, Frank, th the events that you're going to be talking about today, they take place in downstate New York. Is that correct? <laughs> hmm. I would call it upstate New York. Some people would call it... The Catskills. The Catskills and not upstate? Correct. To me, everything above the Bronx is upstate. So, it's upstate. It's upstate in my book. But that's a good question. So, just as Europeans have legends of fae folk and gnomes and fairies and hobgoblins and all that, many different Native American tribes have passed down pretty similar traditions over generations and generations. And obviously, it's important to note, there was and continues to be a lot of variation in the cultures of Native Americans across different tribes. And they weren't a hom homogenous group, just like Europeans aren't and their legends aren't homogenous. I want you guys to check out the map, which will be in the show notes, and in our Discord is in the thread, episode 7. So you can see the regions we're talking about, and the Native American tribes there. Yeah, so we've got basically two groups, two confederacies of tribes. The, thing, the ones to point out here, uh, the Iroquois, which didn't call themselves the Iroquois, by the way. They called themselves the Haudenosaunee, which means people of the longhouse. Um, they're in the top left, and then the other confederacy. Uh, the Mohicans, and the other people on the bottom right. So the region we're talking about, you can see the tribes that cover downstate or middle state New York, southeast, or like the Mohicans, the Wappingers, that whole uh, chunk, the Mohawk. So I want to start off by talking about one of the legends of the Mohegan tribe. And in that map, you'll see they're all the way in the bottom right, actually in parts of Connecticut. Oh, yeah. They have tales of the Makiawisug, which to them uh, are their legends of little people. Supposedly, they can be dangerous if they're disrespected, but generally they're benevolent nature spirits, right? And they're described as knee height, about two feet tall, and they are said to carve symbols on rocks and have magical powers, and they can make themselves invisible and all that. But it's pretty important to their culture. And so I'd like to start with the longest story of today. Before we get into crazier and crazier stories, I'd like to tell you guys about young dirty clothes. 
Our story starts with a poor young boy who had lost his parents. He lives with his uncle who treats him poorly and dresses the boy in rags, hence his name Dirty Clothes. One day, Dirty Clothes is squirrel hunting upon some cliffs nearby a river. Now, nobody in the village would come to this area because it was said that the Makia Wisog, the little people, lived and beat their drums there. But young Dirty Clothes remembered his mother's words. Whenever you walk with good in your heart, you should never be afraid. So he wasn't. Suddenly he sees movement in a nearby hickory tree and watches a black squirrel scurrying up to the top and a small voice calling out, Ah, you missed. Shoot again. Dirty Clothes looks down and sees two little hunters with tiny bows and arrows failing to shoot down the squirrel. Wanting to help them hunt, he quickly picks up his own bow and arrow and boom, the squirrel drops down. Startled, the tiny hunters swirl around to see the boy and begin to thank him, trying to offer him the squirrel he had caught. But young Dirty Clothes refuses and even offers them the two he had caught already. Now the little hunters are so touched that they insist Dirty Clothes go with them to visit their home. And despite the boy's worries about his uncle, he decides, ah, what the heck, I'll go just for a bit. The two little people lead the boy to the river where a teeny tiny canoe is waiting and he's told to step inside. And the canoe is barely the size of his shoe, yet as he steps, he finds himself as tiny as them, the hunters, fitting easily inside. And to his further astonishment, the little canoe takes off into the sky, eventually entering a mountain cave where the other little people had gathered. They greet him as a friend, they show him around, and they reveal to him many of the mysteries of the birds, the bees, and trees, corn, squash, you name it, and most especially how to make a special drink that the little people loved. Finally, after four days, Dirty Clothes knows it's time to go home. And the last thing he's shown is a new dance to teach his own people. A dance to be done in a darkened place, so the little people could come and dance with them unseen. A dance which would honor the Makia Wisog and thank them for their gifts. He's led back to the edge of his village and Turning back to thank his friends, he finds that they've disappeared. He's back home. While walking back into the village, processing everything that happened to him in the last four days, a woman calls out to him, Welcome, stranger. Who are you? Confused, he says. You know me. I'm dirty clothes. The lady calls back. That can't be. Just look at you. Glancing down, he realizes his old rags are gone. They're replaced with a fine, new, embroidered buckskin. He asks about his uncle. He's told, that lazy man? He's been dead for years. Why would a warrior like yourself be looking for such a person? Looking down again, he realizes he's no longer a boy, but a strapping young man towering over everybody else in the village. And he was very grateful to the little people. That night, he shares with his village his tale and the secrets he had learned, especially the dance and the drink. And that night, they all did the dark dance, as it was called, to thank the little people for their gifts. And they heard the voices of the little people joining in song, glad to know the humans were grateful. And so it is said that even to this day, the little people remain friends of the Mohicans and perform the dance in the darkness for them. So that's dirty clothes. That's who knows how old that story is, right? Many, many, many generations. 
But that's really to set the stage yeah. for these sorts of little people legends. Where did you get the source for this story? Yeah, so what's that's a good question. What's interesting is a lot of Native American tribes still keep a connection to their traditions and their ancestry. And they do so by trying to collect literature, uh, oral traditions that have been passed down and writing them down and publishing them. Lots of these find their way onto the internet and are run by the like political entities of the tribes that still exist. This one is from a wonderful website called indigenouspeople.net, which has a lot of great information, a lot of good stories that um, are written are written down that were originally oral traditions that were passed down by word. I'm glad it was a nice, lighthearted story. Mo- most yeah, of the, you know sweet. these kind of are like. This is almost on like the kind of fable esque type of yeah. story, and it's like this didn't yes. even teach a lesson. This was just like nice and lighthearted, dirty clothes. Yeah, it was. You know, he's living a good life now. It's it's a nice way to start. It's a shame they didn't teach him a rap with a name like <laughs> Young Dirty Clothes. <laughs> I know, right? Young Dirty Clothes. Young Dirty Clothes doing the dark dance. Right? <laughs> oh, oh my gosh, that should be. You know that. Yeah, you know, I'll make that like. I'll factor it into the episode title because I still haven't chosen the title yet. But yeah, so this, obviously I don't believe this this story to be true, like literally true, but it points out a lot of interesting things. It points out um, the belief in little people. Mm-hmm. Did you guys notice missing time? The guy is yep. gone mm-hmm. for, he feels, a few days. Yeah, Years have passed. Yep. He obviously is nice. He is rewarded for that. Bad person is, you know, gets what's coming to him with the uncle. Yeah. Those themes, keep those in mind when I talk about like the more modern encounters that people have. All those things come up again and again and again. Frank. So, yeah. Quick question yes. then with that, as you bring up the missing time, as we get through, I might be, you know, jumping the shark, but... Go ahead, jump it. Is there some missing 411 involved? There is a missing 411 story, which I didn't include, but oh. I can touch on towards the end. All right. And... It makes researching this makes me wonder, huh? What is the what is the result of missing people? Maybe uh maybe there is something related to this for missing people. So keep that in mind. Um, so continuing on this first theme of Native American older stories, all these different tribes that you see in that map have their own legends. The Iroquois slash Haudenosaunee have the Jogeo or Joga. And I encourage you guys to look these up in your own time because they've got funny names. The Gahangas are stone Huge. throwers. They're like a type of little people that throw stuff. You know, where have you heard Gahangas before? I could think of like that one. Huge Gahangas. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> they have legends of flying heads, like huge flying heads in the sky. Oh They're God. like undead monsters that oh, are the result <laughs> of cannibalism. <laughs> It's crazy. They have really cool stories. Like outside of like even like Wendigo stories or other like cannibal yeah. creatures. Oh man. Yeah. Wow. Cannibalism comes up a lot in the American language. I don't know. I don't know what's up with that, but pretty interesting stuff. So that's kind of the basis that we're talking about. But I want to share another story that really was the start of what got me interested in little people many, many, many years ago. Because I love the idea. I know Troy's like, what the hell is this for little people? It's the stupidest thing. But yeah. <laughs> no, I believe I believe you, remember? <laughs> That's true. You're right. <laughs> I yep. dote upon your every word. Yep, smile. I love the idea of going on a hike and turn around and seeing like a little person peering out behind a tree. But That's just me. Have you guys heard 
we all know Henry Hudson, the English explorer that the Hudson River is named after. He invented the Hudson River. He found the river and was surprised to find it was named after him. No. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Back in 1609, it said that that was when Henry Hudson was in his ship, the Half Moon. Now, which makes me wonder, there's that town of Half Moon. I wonder, is it named after Henry Hudson's ship? Probably. I bet it is, right? Probably. Probably is. Probably. Or a weird coincidence. It's got, like, it's on, it's right near the Hudson. It's right upstate, right where he was. Half Moon is apparently named for the shape of the lower elevation land north of the junction of the Hudson and Mohawk. Oh, look at that. But it is also said to be named after the Half the half Moon, or however the hell you pronounce it. In Dutch, Dutch, yeah. But Half Moon. Awesome. Yeah. Anyway, September 3rd, 1609, Henry Hudson has just failed to find the Northwest Passage, right? That was really the goal back then, find the Northwest Passage make it to asia he had sailed up the hudson realized like this is not going to work i'm not going to get across the continent he made it to about albany-ish and turns back down that night he stops the ship uh to sleep overnight in the shadows of the Catskill mountains and around midnight he and his crew are awoken to hear the sound of music floating across the mountains as the story goes so he gets up, he takes just a few crew members, they hop in a boat, and they go on shore to investigate. They search for the sound, the source of the sound, and they come upon a group of pygmies, they claim, which you can just interpret as short people, little people, with long bushy beards and eyes like pigs. Now, I don't know what that means. What are eyes like pigs? What do pig eyes? Do pigs have like beady eyes? I guess. Somewhat like, beady. That's, I don't know what that's getting at, but with pig eyes um so he comes upon them and a bunch of these little guys are just dancing and singing and growling wildly around a fire that they made having just a grand old time and henry goes oh my goodness this must be the little people that i've heard the natives telling me about and they spot him and they surround him and his crew his few crew members who are with him and they cheer and they bring him into the circle and they draw them into the dance And then they go dancing and whatever, and they're mesmerized and delighted by these little guys, especially with the hard liquor that the (laughs) little guys had brewed and were giving them and were being very generous with. I could just imagine, like, I could just picture this, this scene. You got to go partying with the pygmies. I know. Well, just wait till the end of the story. I don't know. Maybe that that might be uh, possible for you, Nick. That's the moral of the story. (laughs) Yeah, that's the moral of the story. (laughs) Pig eyes. Long into the night. They party, they dance, they drink and drink and drink. And they play nine pins, which is just like a precursor to the bowling. And they drink and they drink and they drink. His whole crew is drinking like till they're blackout drunk almost. And Henry Hudson himself is talking with the chief, the chief of the little people. And they talk about many deep and mysterious things about life. Anyway, finally, Henry realizes it's really late. He needs to head back. And he goes back to the circle to look around for his men. and. He doesn't see them. All he sees are the the little... I'm going to use gnomes and little people interchangeably. All he sees are the little gnomes laughing and joking, and they're kind of sprawled around, all drunk around the the dying fire. He looks a little closer and realizes he recognizes several of the gnomes as his crew members. (laughs) They'd undergone a transformation. Their eyes had swollen to twice their normal size. Their their heads had swollen to twice their normal size, sorry. Their eyes were small and pig-like. 
their bodies had shortened. They were becoming closer and closer to those gnomes. So Hudson freaks out. He grabs them. They leave. They're like blackout drunk. They're barely able to walk. They're protesting. They sleep it off. They take like a whole day to sleep it off. And besides having a terrible headache, they wake up totally fine the next morning. And so it's said, of course, that the spirits of Henry Hudson and his crew return to the Catskill Mountains every 20 years to play nine pins with the gnomes and to look out over the country they had first explored together on the half moon there. And now and then, one of the Dutch settlers living in the region supposedly would come across those spirits as they played nine pins. And they said anyone who was foolish enough to drink of their hard drink of the liquor they made would fall asleep from that moment until the day they returned 20 years later. And do you guys know the story of Rip Van Winkle from upstate New York? Of course. Yeah. The story of Rip Van Winkle, the guy who falls asleep for 20 years and wakes up and it went from, you know, the colonies to the United States. The legend has it is that he found these little people and played nine pins with them and drank with them. Hmm. So these two stories are kind of hand in hand with each other. So are you talking about R.I.P. Van Winkle Part 2? Or... Yes, rar.i.p.vanwinkle <laughs> part two, the man himself. Oh, good. R.I.P. in peace, Van Winkle. Oh, yeah, rest in pepperoni. Let that be known when you guys are, if you're ever driving over the Rip Van Winkle Bridge, which is up there Yep. in the Catskills, don't drink uh, any liquor that little people offer. Also, you. you shouldn't drink while you're driving over the bridge because it's illegal. Any any other time, <laughs> drink while driving, but yeah. not <laughs> near the Rip Van Winkle Bridge. You're here first. It's the drunk crashers who get us in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> drunk driving is fine. Exactly. You did give go. us an interesting visual there, Frank, which is that you claimed, or well, Henry Hudson, let's say, claimed that his crewmates' heads doubled in size while their <laughs> bodies shrank down yes did he provide any account of how their necks kept their heads attached oh their necks just disappeared and fell now um i don't i'm yeah i'm trying to picture what this would look like it's gruesome They're almost like grays uh, yeah yeah i was thinking that nick but i didn't want to say it i was also imagining you know a human baby that whose head can't be supported by their neck that's oh, that's probably a pretty fair, supernatural that's probably a fair uh that's probably closest idea, right? So we'll say that one, if you look into it, there's no evidence of that being something that Henry Hudson ever reported, but it's a good story. That is a fun story. If you drink if you drink their liquor, you're gonna fall asleep for twenty years and then Well <laughs> Welcome back. And get a bridge named after you. Get a bridge named after you. <laughs> <laughs> Alright. So now guys, we know the mission. Let's go. I, I pass over that bridge. Alright, used to. Rest in peace, Palachi's family resort. Don't tear up now. I pass over that bridge all the time, and I always think about Rip Van Winkle, but I never realized the connection here to little people. Um, so those are the two kind of old stories that are legends, right? Not super based in reality. But now I want to pivot to fun stories, much shorter stories, that I got from a wonderful, wonderful book, which will be linked in the show notes, called Little People by Ron Quinn. I can't tell when this was first published. The internet says 2015, but that's not correct because he was talking about it on a radio show in 20, 2006. But Ron Quinn was born in New York. He moved to Washington eventually as a teen. He was in the U.S. military. He was released 
he's pretty old. This he was released in 1955, and he spent two years treasure hunting in Arizona with his brother. <laughs> How cool is that? What do you even was his do? Brother Forrest Fenn by any chance? No, I wish his brother was Chuck. Ah, uh. um, <laughs> yeah, Chuck. Ron and just Chuck. Chuck. Yeah, I know, just Chuck. Just Chuck. No last name. Yeah, you guys don't know Chuck. <laughs> So yeah, I, what do you even do for two years? How do you sustain yourself treasure hunting in Arizona? That you can't find stuff often, right? It, it was it was the fifties. That's true. They didn't have student loans. Everything back was then. easy, but you buy a house for one piece of treasure. <laughs> so that's the exact rate. Yeah, right. <laughs> one piece of treasure. <laughs> one piece of Arizona treasure. Uh, but he and his brother in like the seventies had a film production company called Aztec Film Productions, and they produced local TV commercials, travel logs, medical training films, all sorts of things. Just for a few years. And then he retired and spent his time doing research, writing, and artwork. And this tiny little book, which is pretty cheap, was a compilation of stories of little people from the Catskill region that he found and heard firsthand or had people write into him because he used to write about these stories for the local newspaper. And he had his own experience with seeing little people which i didn't include because i want you to be able to buy the book if you're interested and read about it but um he did an interview on the very famous coast to coast show radio show with george nori back in october 2006 and so check out the show notes you can listen to george knapp there were multiple hosts over time at the time the host was two named george i believe so yeah yeah oh i think george knapp was the original i don't know I don't know. But the time, 2006, it was George Norrie. Gotcha. And that's uh, reference number 21, if you want to listen to that. So, I took my favorite stories from that book. And I'm going to share them with you. We'll chat about them after each of them. But also feel free to interrupt me during these. These are less narratives than those first two. So, feel free to to, uh, poke fun at them and, and all that fun stuff. Oh, yeah. The first story comes from chapter five. Each chapter is its own story in the book. So it's very, very readable. Like, really highly recommend it. It's called Voices. There's a lot like the book from my episode, where each chapter yes. is like a set of stories. Yes, it's very, very similar. Um, lots of like just really tiny little, like you could just pick and choose some good ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this story starts with Jim McGill, who is a 67-year-old nature lover. He loves bird watching. He knows some great bird watching spots uh, near Monticello or Monticello, New York, which is in Sullivan County, of course. And so, if you haven't known this area, it's uh, he's driving down Route 17 towards Liberty. And I'm going to have these all on a map in the show notes. If you're just curious to see where these stories take place, I'm just going to put markers on on the map. And so he's looking for his one of his favorite spots, and he parks on the side of the road a few miles drive, and he heads into the woods, and he gets about a hundred, a few hundred yards in before he realizes, oh shoot, he forgot his binoculars in the car. And so he's pretty frustrated with himself. He turns to head back, and after just a few feet, he hears the faint sound of voices, and he strains his ears, and it sounds like young children fighting over something so he slowly follows the voices gets closer and closer he follows them to a clearing and he stops behind some trees to get a good view 
and he peers out from behind the tree, and he sees two little figures about two feet tall, about a hundred feet away, and they're both dressed in dark green, and they're gesticulating and yelling at each other in a foreign language that he doesn't understand. And the loudest of the little two guys is waving his arms and frantically points towards some nearby trees, and it seems to piss the other little guy off. And from the distance, you know, he's still kind of far away, but he can at least make out that they each have a beard and a wrinkled cap. And those two things come up a whole lot, a beard and a wrinkled cap. I don't know why. Uh, he just stands there for a while, just watching these two argue. And he's kind of getting like, it's kind of getting a kick of it. It's pretty amusing seeing these two little guys bickering. And then another little guy shows up and joins in. And he's just watching as all three of these little guys in this clearing are yelling and shoving each other around. And he, he says it even reminds him of like the Three Stooges. They're like knocking each other over and like poking each other and yelling and screaming. <laughs> nice. And he's just watching like, what, what am I looking at? And all of a sudden they just stop and they just walk away together out of the view back into the woods. And he's like, <laughs> what the? So he quick tries to follow them, tries to chase them down. He's never able to get close enough. He hears little, you know, little, um, little brief sounds of yelling or whatever, but he can never find them. Totally loses them. Anyway, you can probably guess he didn't finish bird watching that day. He was like, what did I just witness? He went home and he tries telling his story to his friends and family. And of course, nobody believes him. I believe, I him. believe him. Jim McGill would be honored to. He's probably dead. But he would be honored to hear you guys that you believe his story. I know a uh, a very honest person named Jimmy McGill. Yeah, that's <laughs> um, otherwise known as Saul Goodman uh, for those uninitiated. Maybe it was him. Actually, thank you for that. I had no, I had no idea who you were talking about. <laughs> <laughs> well, suffice it to say, neither of them would lie about something like this. So that's true. That's true. And and this is a very common theme where. People experience something and then they go tell their families, whatever, and, and then, or like their wife or their husband and their partners, like, you're actually crazy. Like, mm -hmm. I'm worried for you, which sucks. But we do have a few stories yeah. where multiple people claim to have witnessed the thing. You know, when you said that they stopped bickering, I thought for a split second, I thought you were going to be like, and then they all turn simultaneously to look at Don't worry, <laughs> like, oh my God. I have that too. Becomes a real horror. <laughs> oh, that just, comes like, up. That comes up time, all the time. We've been expecting you. Oh, oh that my comes God, up. Be yeah. Terrifying. Um, this is a nice little quick one that is mentioned in the hook from chapter twelve, and it's titled "He Was Very Ugly." Anne Pratt, also living in Monticello, New York, in the seventies, one August day, she claims, um. And they're in the area of Swinging Bridge, which is just south of Mongop Valley, if anyone knows who that is. One of Anne's aunts was about to leave for a family event with her six-year-old. But the boy is refusing to get in the car. And he keeps running to the woods, which are right next to the cottage where they live, pointing and saying that he wanted to play with his friend, the little man. And the, um, the, his mom, Anne's aunt, is like, what are you talking about? But the kid will not budge. So she's like, fine, well, let me see what you're talking about. And she goes with him and they walk a little bit into the woods. And to her surprise, she sees, quote, quote her, the ugliest little creature I had ever seen. And it was about two feet tall. And it seemed 
very intent on trying to warn her about something. It's gesticulating, it's yelling, whatever. They don't understand it, though. So, later on, when this aunt told Anne the story, and told the story to her and the rest of the family, everyone thought she was crazy. Um, basically, uh, the aunt and the kid pulled up to where the rest of the family was, jumped out of the car, and all excited, start, you know, saying, we, ju- we just saw this little, we just saw this little man in the woods, and blah, 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 and blah, blah. And they're like, what? What are you talking about? And they didn't believe him. That's not where the story ends. Because later that evening, on the aunt and the kids' return home, they got into a very serious car crash. And the aunt was quite injured. uh, Even though, fortunately, the kid was not hurt. And while she was in the hospital, she told anyone that would listen that the little man was right. And she should have paid more attention to his warning not to go. And to the very end of her life, um, Anne, the person who told the story, claims that her aunt stuck to the story and never um, reneged, and she claimed it was true. So maybe these little guys uh, sometimes do want to help you out. If only these people took Gnomish when they were creating their character. Yeah, if only they spoke the language. <laughs> that's that's a. Yeah. I think that's what I would do if I were some mythical creature. Just show up to people who don't have any means of actually documenting me, prove my existence, and then just say, no one will ever believe you. I think it's, it's like that meme where you're home alone with your dog, they talk to you, and it's like, no one's ever yeah. going to believe you. <laughs> exactly that. I mean, trickster element, tr- yes, uh, Frank. Yes, that's the thing. So Perhaps. So a skeptic like Troy, I mean, uh, a, a complete believer like Troy. A true believer. You, a true that's believer, how I Troy. describe myself. That's the yes. tricky thing about these stories, right? Because you can say, um, of course, everything that happens, and you can say this for any sort of weird paranormal stuff, like, oh, you can't get photos of it, or oh, you claim photos of it don't develop properly, or oh, your your phone dies, or oh, it's only shown to one person at a time so that you don't have more witnesses, right? And you can point to that uh-huh. and say, there's proof that those things aren't real. Um, but then people on the other side will say, no, the phenomena is just aware of that reality and just plays on that. You know what I mean? And knows that if it only reveals itself to one person at a time and refuses to be photographed or this or that or makes the encounter ridiculous enough, no one's going to believe it. You know? So there's like those kind of opposing um, perspectives when you hear a ridiculous story like that or like the previous one with the little three stooges. It's um, pretty What do you think about that, Troy? Feel free to say, like, that's stupid. Well, first of all, I think it's awfully rude of that lady to call her child the ugliest little creature. <laughs> <laughs> Good one. But, uh, hey, man, they, th- the burden of proof is on the person trying to prove it exists. That's, that's very fair. It's not on the people to say, well, your evidence is, like, if this happens every time, then it doesn't exist. It's on the the people to to provide irrefutable evidence. Yeah, that it does exist beyond a reasonable doubt. It's like beyond a criminal a charge. Doubt. This is criminal court. Yeah. <laughs> but then, what happens if the thing that has is trying to be proven to exist or not knows how to make it impossible to prove? Then we have the cat and mouse game that has been happening 
Since yeah. forever. Then you, have you heard of religion? <laughs> 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 well, then you have... The little people work in mysterious ways, right? Mis- you have Wednesday 9 p.m., I guess. I, so I have a question, particularly about little people. Why has nobody just tried to, like, scoop them up and, like, show them around? Like, Let me yeah. say I have that in one of my stories. So, um, Okay. I'll I'll let you comment on that later then. I was just curious, yeah. like like we were getting on the burden of proof. Um and so I'm like, why don't you just grab it? Yeah, that's a great and question. Then, you know, here's there's, there's the Bigfoot's proof, one but. thing. I don't know if I can grab him, but yeah. I feel like I could I could grab a gnome. Yeah, two foot tall, it's like grabbing a toddler. If you can punt a baby, you can carry a gnome. <laughs> <laughs> can you punt a baby, Troy? We can find out. All right, let's find a gnome. <laughs> How is that going to solve the problem? Because if he just gets it, then we know he can punt a baby. Yeah, therefore, if I can carry a gnome, I can punt a baby. <laughs> oh, of course. Take out the middleman. Anyway. <laughs> if you check the episode notes, you will find a video of Troy punting a baby. Uh, we're going to record that <laughs> right after uh, this. Um, we will make a note that that is inadmissible in, <laughs> in yeah, Minecraft. Yep. Just have to add that <laughs> in Roblox. Yeah. So to kind of answer your your question, Aaron, from what I can put together from legends and also encounters that people claim to have, you these things, if they exist, aren't just plain physical tiny people that run around and you can like pick up and like put in your like backpack and like or punch and knock out and like put in your backpack. The stories I've told so far haven't really shown anything we- weird, like paranormal, but oftentimes they kind of just like, there's one I didn't include in this episode that's from 1700s or whatever, where a traveler comes across one that is caught accidentally in a bear trap, a little creature, and it's screaming, terrified for help. And he's like, oh my, what the heck is this? He finds it and he's so confused. But he goes to release the creature from the bear trap and he notices there's no blood, there's nothing, but the little creature is stuck. And he goes and he opens up and he grabs the little creature. And a really weird detail from the story is that the little guy didn't weigh anything. Like he, the, the man couldn't even feel him in his hand. And the guy, the little guy just kind of hops off and runs away. So... That's such a weird little detail that makes you wonder, like, huh, They, if they exist, they probably aren't purely physical little things. There's something weird about them where you're not going to be able to go up and scoop them. They're often they're more aware of you than we are aware of them. And one of the themes of these gotcha. stories, I think, is that you might be able to read between the lines and say that. I think these things are around more often than not, but we just don't see them 99.9% of the time. Um, and they don't see us, or they see us most of the time, but we just don't see them. But uh, some of these stories might... That one didn't see the bear trap. Yeah, yeah, it's a great question. Why didn't he see the bear trap? Maybe they just don't know what bear traps are. You know, they're they're not used to... Yeah. But they do know what photographs are, so they can avoid... No, so let me tape. tell that one. This is a really cool one. I want you guys to just like imagine you're in this scenario. I'm going to try to paint a picture for you. 
Chapter 14 of this book, The Phantom Forest. Ned Grimm lived in the Catskills in the 70s, and he occasionally ventured into the forests around his home for long hikes, and he knew the area really well. He did not need a map. So one late June day in 1977, he's driving along a twisting dirt road near the western boundaries of the Catskills when he parks his truck and heads into the nearby woods. Now, about a hundred yards into the woods, he suddenly feels a strange tingling sensation throughout his body, right as he passes a large rock formation. And it goes away after only a few seconds, and he shrugs it off and continues hiking, until he realizes, wait a minute, this looks different. The surrounding land looked very different. The sky was overcast just moments ago, but now it's totally clear. And in fact, he notices it has an odd green tinge to it. And he continues walking past these tall trees around him. And he realizes the land is kind of more open now. And he knows this area very well. He doesn't recognize any of this. And suddenly he finds himself walking up upon to uh, high granite cliffs. And he knows, no. There are no granite cliffs here. I have walked here many times before. And he sees a narrow twisting canyon cut into uh, these cliffs. And so he goes, okay, obviously, obviously I'm lost. I need to get out of here. So he starts hiking slowly up the bed of the canyon. After a few minutes of kind of looking around, confused, like, where am I? What's going on? He hears strange music coming from around the next bend. And he takes a deep breath and begins to creep up, hugging the right wall, and peers around the corner. And what does he see? On top of some large boulders near a small waterfall, he sees four little people playing haunting music on tiny flutes. And I love the description of the tiny flutes, right? Because if these are little two, two foot tall people, how tiny must their flutes be? And besides... That's rather personal. Yeah, right? Piccolo size. There you go. Yeah. Besides the waterfall, there's another one that's filling up like a jug of water. And he stops and he's blinking going, what What am I seeing? What am I looking at? And he's like, I, I don't believe this. He realizes, oh my God, I have my camera on me. This is, this is a very frustrating story. So I'm like, I have a camera. So he quick takes his camera out. And this is the 70s. Um, so I don't know how big this thing is or what this looks like. Um, and he quick takes several pictures from his from his uh, vantage point of the little people. And right as he's doing that, um, or right after that, the one that was filling up the water jug is done, returns to the others, and they slowly just walk up the canyon, or up the side of the canyon out of sight. And so Ned's super excited, and he retraces his steps to get out. And he's like, oh my god, I have photo evidence. Uh, no one would believe me otherwise, but I'm going to be able to show these pictures. and He's walking for about an hour, continuing, um, he decides to continue his hike, before he sees his car through the trees some distance away, and turns to head towards it. And that moment that he sees his car, he feels that same tingling sensation. And he turns behind, and the strange land, the unfamiliar land, is gone, and everything looks familiar again, and the sky's back to overcast. And now he's super 
confused and shaken, gets back to his car, and he checks his watch. And in his mind, he estimated he'd been out in the woods for two to three hours. But his watch shows that only 30 minutes have passed. And he's really freaked out. He knows something weird, very weird has happened. Drives back home. He tells his wife. His wife doesn't believe a word of the story. What do you guys make of that? What happened to the pictures? Yeah. Yeah. So one of the most frustrating things about this author, he's clearly an old man when he wrote this about at least 20 years, uh, roughly 20 years mm-hmm. ago. I don't think he knew how to include pictures in the book because he doesn't include any of the pictures. Ugh. Oh, wait, wait. There's a there's a postscript to the story I almost forgot to mention, which is important, about the pictures. He doesn't include these pictures. But his wife doesn't believe him. But he realizes, you know, I could still develop these photos, right? They had the film back then. You have to actually, like, develop. So he gets the film developed. And he's going through the pictures going, oh, my God, let's, let's find the ones with the little people. And they all look fine, whatever. He gets to the ones showing the little men. And those only showed out-of-focus shadows with a green tinge. Come on. What are, we, what are we supposed to make of that? And I wish that those out-of-focus shadows with a green tinge made it into the book. But I don't think he knew how to but do sadly that. No. But this, Unfortunately. this gives you, this gives you like, you hear the story and it gives fodder for, for um, skeptics who'd be like, okay. He couldn't provide proof. Obviously he's lying. But it also gives like fodder for people to be like, Look at that. They refuse to be photographed. You know? And obviously, depending on what side you're on, you're going to 100% take that as support. So it's so tricky. But, you know, I propose, as someone of you guys said, the trickster element, it's kind of like, yeah, that's the point. That's the point, right? So, yeah, what do you make of that? I mean, it would, it would be kind of silly like i guess it's still plausible but why would somebody just take a picture of a blur like he obviously saw something that you know said like sent something to his mind that said okay i should take a picture of this it wasn't just like a ooh, you know it would be a fun thing to make it look like a gnome and then like swing his camera around like there was probably something he was trying to take a picture of. Yeah, that's of. the thing, right? So, if you believe the story, right? He gets, he gets something. He gets like something where you can say we were able to look at those pictures. You'd be able to be like, something is there. You can't say it's a little person. You can't say it's four little people. So yeah, yeah, it's like, it's also not nothing, right? So it gives you enough to be interested but it doesn't give you enough to do anything with it. It's like very, very frustrating. Troy, what do you think? <laughs> I know Troy's like, it's about faith. <laughs> okay, come it's on. It's about believing. <laughs> little people work in mysterious well, ways. But do you think that if the little um, people exist, do, do you think they really care? Do you think they would care that whether people believe that they exist or not? Well, it appears they don't want to, people to believe or maybe they don't care about belief that they exist, but they don't want it to be known or provable that they do. Yeah, I guess that's a good distinction, right? Like, if they reveal themselves to individuals, but they don't reveal themselves to, like, as a whole, to everyone. Mm-hmm. 
I like the fact that the uh, the sky changed because then it's like yeah the little like, did he walk into gnome kind of in- the gnome land the gnome universe he, he went to he went to Alfheim like the Norse <laughs> elf realm oh is there there's a <laughs> similar yeah in Norse mythology yeah. I think it's pronounced Alfheim actually but it's like but it's like spelled A L F H E I M so I say Alfheim but it's mm-hmm. the like land of the elves in uh, Norse mythology yeah look at that i so, have another fun fact too mm-hmm. is that if people are lost in the woods or in any area where they don't have any discernible landmarks they will end up walking in circles i've heard that that's, not necessarily completely related to this that's story, a, but it's actually that's scary true. though right like it's so easy to it is like you could yeah. what they teach you i believe in military training is to if you're in the woods with trees you walk to the or to the right of the tree in front of you, and then you walk to the left of the next one in front of you. Interesting. So by kind of interleaving it that way, no pun intended, leave, uh, uh-huh. um, nice. <laughs> you could at least approximate a straight line even without big landmarks. Interesting. Yeah. Hmm. Troy, you just saved lives. That way you won't find yourself in Alfheim. <laughs> True. But yeah, so like, did, did he, uh, what, what's the implication there? Obviously there's missing time there's you know the extra dimensional space yeah like different like what (laughs) and i feel also with like did he ever go back uh it's not said though a lot of these stories have people go back to where they experience something and they find something that indicates maybe that thing was there but the evidence is gone like uh there's a story I didn't include of literally some a kid coming across a classic like hobbit hole with a door just much 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 smaller oh. like a foot tall, Mr. and Vogel. like waiting outside of it for hours and like seeing a little guy like peer out of it, being like, "Is anyone here?" And then he comes back to that like days later, and there's a path up to the rock, but there's no more door in the rock. <laughs> so like, the, the in this story he doesn't come back, or maybe he did, but that's not part of the story, but. Yeah, I don't know what to. Yeah, I don't know if you take it yeah, for what's miss, a... missing times always a missing times always a tricky thing because like, and Troy, you're you're an Eagle Scout, right? You've been in the woods a lot. Yes. When I you're have... when you're like in the woods and you're like experienced, whether you're just like a hunter, outdoorsman, scout, like, have you experienced not like missing time in this sense, but like when you're in the woods, do you lose track of time? Do you get lost easily if you're trained? Because when people like go into the woods. And they're experienced, and then they ex- and then something happens to them, and then people say, "Oh, they were you know they're in the woods. Things just you know it plays tricks on you." But like, does that happen to when they're experienced people? I find it hard to believe that they don't know all all the manners of things that could happen like mentally to them in the woods. Yeah, I mean, so that that's a couple questions in one. But uh, <laughs> in all of my experience, nobody has gotten lost, even in larger wooded areas Mm -hmm. that people have not been in before it's still not too difficult to keep track of which direction you're going and then eventually if you backtrack you'll find a landmark where your brain's just like oh yep okay i'm on the right track um as far as losing track of time it's arguably pretty easy to do um if you get lost in your thoughts or otherwise Mm -hmm. you can suddenly look up and it's like oh it's sundown you know i gotta i gotta get back and start working on dinner but um i've never had that happen where 
I think more time has passed than it has, if that makes sense. Gotcha. Like, I haven't thought it's been hours and then looked at my watch. Yeah, usually it's the opposite. And I'm not not trying to be like, oh, like, I'm not trying to say when that, like, if that happens, it's definitive proof of anything. But I'm just saying, if there are experienced people that go into the woods and they get lost or lose several hours, it's like, they, that just didn't happen just because they're in the woods. Like, these people know what they're doing. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah. Yeah, good points. Good points. I'm going to throw this one in really quick just because it touches on what Aaron mentioned. Um, back to the Mongop River, which I think I've mentioned one of these previously. 1973, summer, Peter Winters taking a leisurely walk along the banks of the river. Not a cloud in the sky, nice and warm. He's walking around. There's a lot of thick brush. And he pauses to look for a nice, like, safe path in front of him. But he sees movement out of the corner of his eye near the river. And he gets a little closer to get a better look. Again, looks from around a tree. And again, he cannot believe his eyes. He's dumbfounded. He sees not 20 feet away on top of small rocks is a small bearded man of two feet with a sloppy hat and light brown clothing. And this little guy is sitting there. Like he didn't have a care in the world, whistling to himself, and he's casting a tiny fishing line into a small pool of water, a pool of water with fish, <laughs> a few feet away. And he's got a little fish, a handful of fish that were he caught that he caught previously, lying on his side. And so Peter's twenty feet away. He's like, "What? What am I looking at? Oh my god!" And this is someone who, when telling the story, claimed he was a complete skeptic. He had heard as a kid, stories of little people in, in this area. Um, but I thought they were the stupidest thing. But now he's looking at little a little guy. And he's like... He's looking at Gnome Nat Pagel. Ex- yeah. Who's who's that? I don't know that. <laughs> right. I just said, yeah. Who's that? He could sit and fish all day. <laughs> Who? Don't worry about it. Can, okay. Um, so he's like, what do I do? Do I... Can I Can I capture him? And he's, he's thinking, like, he's got thoughts flying. He's like, can I capture him? Like, can I take him back? Like, to people like will people believe me like or should i try talking to him should i try communicating with him he slowly stands up to make his presence known at least he's going to go from there see what happens um that moment the little guy senses him slowly turns locks eyes with peter and then jumps up with a startled look on his face and books it and he does this crazy, these crazy leaps. They seem very nimble. Um, jumping over several rocks and disappears in the woods. And Peter's standing there with his knees shaking, his heart pounding, and he goes, oh my god, the little guy left his fishing pole. So, he goes up and he grabs the little fishing pole and he <laughs> takes it home as physical evidence. And he tells people and he shows people, look, I've got this, and he tells us, I've got this little fishing pole, I've got whatever. Um, Still, no one believes him. Now, the author, Ron, um, claims, I've seen these pictures. I've seen the pictures. He's shown me the pictures of his little fishing pole. But again, it's not included in the book. And the guy's probably dead by now. But um, very frustrating. But I love that. Can you imagine, like, your buddy coming up to you, like, being like, look at this. This was a fishing pole from a gnome I found in the woods. Like a tiny little, little thing. <laughs> It'd be crazy. It's just like a kid's. I know, right? It looks like yeah, it looks like a little pole. Fisher Price. <laughs> Fisher, pr- Fisher Price. Yeah. No man, I swear he was he was fishing and there were there were fish next to him and you know, so. Uh-huh. 
I will play devil's advocate on one point, though, which is a potential explanation for why they don't want to be known by humans. Oh, yes. Which is that, I don't know if this was part of the story or just you um, adding details, but when he saw the guy, his first thought was, can I capture him? That is that is straight from those. That was now, his first thought. He was like, should I try to capture him? If I <laughs> was a little person, and I mean, I'm not, I'm, I, I'd argue I'm pretty big, actually. <laughs> um, Can confirm. And people were trying to capture me. I probably wouldn't want to be known by them. You know, That's very true. I'm not something to be put on display. I'm just trying to live my life. I'm trying to fish. I, I just want to wait and fish all day. <laughs> and if they won't let me do that, then I'm getting out of there. That's very fair. Yeah, this little fishing day totally ruined. And I will say, actually, many of the Native American legends, the different tribes with their versions of the little people legends and a common theme is that the little people were totally friendly and fine like pretty pretty elusive and, and shy from native americans but over mm -hmm. time especially as like settlers like european settlers came um the little people got like crankier and crankier and more upset and more elusive and, and yeah less likely to reveal themselves so yeah no i mean if you're gonna, you know, if you accept the story, then I agree with that. They definitely don't have an interest. They they shouldn't have an interest in revealing themselves publicly. I'm convinced. Hook, line, and sinker. Oh, <laughs> nice, nice reference. This next one is also fantastic. This one is two witnesses, and this took place on Highway 28 through the Catskills between Phoenicia, which I visit all the time. Which is crazy to think I've probably driven on this road. And uh, between Phoenicia and Alabin. And this was around the mid-1960s. A lot of these stories are pretty old. That's just because this book is pretty old. There are stories of these encounters up until current times. And this is around 10 o'clock at night. Joe and Linda, a couple in their mid-50s, are returning from visiting their family in Kingston. And they're speeding along in the dark on these windy roads when all of a sudden they hear a loud thud on the car's roof. But they figure it's, you know, there's trees all around them. They figure a branch has fallen and bounced off their car roof, right? They continue driving on. Now, about a mile later, they hear several more light thuds from the roof. So they're like, okay, what the heck? They pull over to the side of the road. Both Joe and Linda get out. And Joe whips out a flashlight. He goes to check the roof. He flicks it on. And they see a little man about three feet tall. <laughs> which is kind of large for those of these stories. Three feet lying spread eagled across the top of the car, holding on for dear life <laughs> with like a utterly terrified look on his face. <laughs> and Linda screams at the top of her lungs and leaps back. I don't blame her. Joe stares at this with the flashlight like beaming in the guy's, in the little creature's face in amazement. Oh my God. The roof gnome jumps to his feet Looks like a crit, like a wild animal. Leaps off the car, landing right next to Linda. Linda freaks out even more. And the little guy sprints as fast as he can into the woods with a slight limp. <laughs> <laughs> and Joe... Sprained his ankle. So Linda is screaming her head off. Going, oh my god, oh my god. And Joe is just standing there, calm, following this creature with his flashlight through the woods. Watches him, watches it emerge from the forest about 60 feet away. After going like running into the forest and emerges 60 feet away from them and just hobbles with a limp up the road and out of view. And they're just like, what? After a few moments of kind of calming down silence, 
they burst into laughter. You know, they, they're like, what the hell did we just experience? Joe notices there is a slight dent on the roof. Um, and they carried on with their day and they told their story to whoever would listen. Weren't, you know, weren't believed. But um, I want to add, I love that Ron, the author, just adds... That little stranger had one hell of a ride. I can imagine how he felt hanging onto a moving object, flying down the dark road in the dead of night. When the little rascal arrived home, I bet he had one wild tale to tell his companions. <laughs> so I love that image of the guy, not only just like the gnome, <laughs> like not from the people's perspective, but his perspective, right? Like, how did he end up on the car roof? Was he in the tree and he fell? He fell from a tree branch. When the car yeah, and like he probably was really held on for like mi- like a mile. <laughs> if there's anything we know about these things, they love drinking. So he might have been drunk. Oh and my fell. god! You're, like imagine like they're partying yeah. up in the trees, totally drunk. He falls onto a car, speeding, winding. That's <laughs> it's it's so funny. It's just such a funny that's a good image one. to me. That's a good one. Um, right? You know, you know, I I believe anything you tell yeah, me. So right? as we uh as we as we have established. I'm running into a little bit of cognitive dissonance, if you will, because uh, in the previous story, a previous story, you told me that these little people are seemingly weightless. Yes. And yet, now I'm forced to believe that not only do they have weight, they have enough to leave dents and make audible thuds when they fall onto something. Yeah, that's a that's a very good point. And I have no idea what to make of... of- those differences this one also has the creature being like three feet tall which is not that uh, small when you think about it right like kids are three feet tall for a time you know um so no 100 i'm just gonna say like i don't i don't think it makes sense but i don't think it obviously i don't think it has to make sense i think like having it make sense is separate from it potentially being a true story or not but you're right it doesn't make sense, and it doesn't line up with all the other stories, and it's very weird. That's probably not that helpful. Maybe there are different species that have different. I guess uh, if you, like yeah, if you have to look at it through like that kind of like you know like they're creatures of certain species. I guess there are multiple species of little people, little creatures in the woods. Hey, we play D anD D. There are multiple species of little creatures in fantasy. Maybe. I mean, and that is all based off of Tolkien, which is all based off of these sorts of legends, so the European version. So, like, no, Tolkien actually invented everything. Tolkien actually—they're all true stories. They're all ancient history of Europe. That's a, that's yeah. a conspiracy theory. True, that, that's a whole other episode. <laughs> Demonstrably yeah. true. But yeah, <laughs> maybe um, several episodes. <laughs> so, Frank, can I weigh in? On what I think no. Troy helped maybe explain. Oh, okay, my bad. <laughs> well, I'm um, always open for another perspective. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm here to provide a different perspective that is probably is Finally. probably not original. Um, but here's my perspective on the matter. It, assuming you don't have many more stories to tell. No, go ahead. Um, so my thought process is with all of the the cryptids or supernatural stuff that we have discussed ghosts the kinderhook creature now little people and even anything we've mentioned throughout the episodes there's this distinction between physical reality and you know i guess metaphysical reality where something can exist but not be physical and so my thought is that 
these creatures have various levels of control over the physical versus metaphysical. So, for example, the gnome that got stuck in the bear trap maybe has control over, you know, being weightless, but not control over not getting caught in the bear trap. Uh Or, you know, maybe there's certain properties that of the bear trap that affected, you know, like I I hear iron and stuff like that is. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. Maybe that plays into it. Mask things like that. But um, think of that. Again, maybe like Nick said, if the gnome's in an inebriated state, maybe it's control over metaphysical isn't quite there. So can't quite, you know, stop himself from being weightless. And a lot of times with these creatures, ghosts, um, kinderhook creature, etc. There's things where it it just vanishes. And again, might play into that idea of different creatures have different both control and awareness of this the uh metaphysical no, i think what, what do you guys think of that i think it makes sense it's a plausible explanation yeah i mean there's aaron you're the person here with the most education in like quantum physics that's a whole realm of things that just makes zero sense all the time anyway <laughs> yeah <laughs> so that's true so and like even like when you go really deeper into that stuff, even more so than you did, I'm sure there are things that we don't know where your that theory could be entirely true. Yeah, I have no idea physically how to explain it, but maybe you that's can. my gut. Maybe it's feeling. not explainable by our definition of explainable. You know, let's put a gnome in the <laughs> blender. Lar- no, the uh, Hadron <laughs> Collider, <laughs> or the Hadron Accelerator, or whatever it's quantum called. Quantum gnome physics. No, no right. quantum gnome superposition. Quant- <laughs> quant- gnome. Yeah, what we got to do is get a Those box, good episode put a gnome titles. in it, and with? then oh. quantum gnome. Then yeah. when we open the box, we'll see if the gnome is there or not. Yes. It's, oh my god! Honestly, it's like Schrodinger's gnome. Schrodinger's gnomers. We punt the gnome and see how far we can get it. Oh. Based on how much its mass is altered. True. Well, if there's no mass, would it go forever? Oh yeah. What Wait, if this is no a mass stupid question. Destroyed. If it's no weight and you punt it, would it just go forever? <laughs> like into space? I, I suppose. Right. Well. Right. Because gravity wouldn't. In theory, act on. yes. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, let's, cap- let's capture the weightless gnome before we capture, capture the weightless gnome. gnome. Yeah. Capture a sober one and then give it the alcohol to give it. Its Honestly. Weight. Oh, perfect. Yeah. It gets a little pig yeah. eyes out. So, I'd like to finish off the stories with. A spookier one. Yes. Um, it's not gonna like scare you to your, you know, shake you to your bones. But I don't know, Frank. The bl- the blinds to my room are open and it's dark out. If I turn around and there's a gnome in that window, well, so I'll just me. say, oh, there are lots of stories about gnomes and windows, which I didn't include, just because they're like pretty straightforward. You see a gnome in the window, it waves, it runs away. Definitely check out the book for those. But for this one, I'll say, I hope that one day we all go camping and we experience something like this. And actually, is reminiscent of a story that Nick told in the last episode um, in Kinderhook. So we have Bob and Helen Pepper who enjoy camping with their friends, Tom and Susan Hodgson, that's hard to say, in the woods woods of Ulster County. 
They were all in their early 30s, and every summer they would come to this hidden camping site that they had found, which was in a really nice clearing next to a small mountain stream that trickled into the forest. And this spot was about a mile upstream from a public camping ground that was just really busy and noisy. So that's why they would avoid it, and they would stick to their spot. And it was really hard to get to their spot, and it was so quiet there that, quote, one would think that they had gone deaf if it wasn't for the sound of the running water rippling peacefully over the rocks. Sounds beautiful, very scenic, very picturesque. One morning, when they are visiting, after arriving at the site, the ladies of the group set about arranging the camp, and the men went out to set the tents up beneath the trees. And so they finish their, their duties, and that night they make a campfire and they gather around as you do, telling stories, chatting, relaxing. And not a breeze or a bird call breaks the silence. And they remark on how quiet it is and how nice it is. And above them, the stars are sparkling against the dark sky. Now, Tom is a little ways off among the trees to go to the bathroom. When all of a sudden he hears movement coming from above him. And he quickly finishes his business and grabs his flashlight. and flicks it, pointing it up towards the sound that he heard. And something flicks right kind of past the view of his flashlight. And so he kind of shuffles around the tree to get a better view and points the flashlight again up in the tree. And to his surprise, he sees a little silhouette of a person or a doll or something just sitting among the leaves, peering down at him motionless. And so he laughs and he goes, okay, someone's playing a prank. He goes back to the camp and he goes, okay, who's the jokester? And they're all laughing and talking and they stop and they're confused and they say, what are you talking about? And he's like, one of you put a doll dressed up as a leprechaun in that tree. I know one of you is here pulling a string, making it move or something. It's not funny. And they're like, what are you talking about? And so they follow him to see what's going on. They stop beneath that tree, and Tom points his flashlight up once again. He goes, that's what I'm talking about. And the beam of the flashlight falls upon this little guy that's just sitting there 10 feet above them. Pretty darn close. And Susan is like, okay, this is a joke, right? Someone's placed it up there. And just as she's finishing saying that, the figure moves. And the woman scream. They're freaking out, and they watch in amazement as the little guy gets up and climbs really quick, like scampers really quick, unbelievably quick, higher up into the tree. And at the same time, they watch another little creature appear among the branches, and it turns out to be a little baby raccoon. And that baby raccoon sits down next to the little guy, and the two of them just sit up there, gazing down at the four bewildered people. And then the little guy, the little man, jumps up and leaps into another tree and disappears into the darkness. Now, all four people got a good enough view of it with the flashlight to give the same description. They said he was about two feet tall, he had long hair, he's quite chubby, but he moved very, very, like oddly easily through the tree. And they're very creeped out. So the rest of the night, these two couples sat around the campfire discussing what they just saw, 
and they would keep glancing around at that tree, but they saw nothing more that night. Now, just before heading to sleep, they heard the faint sound of a flute coming from the distance. And they got up and they searched, and they called out, see if anyone was there, but they heard no reply. And it's important to note, the player of the flute sounded like a professional. It was very nice. It was a very haunting melody that just drifted kind of through the forest. And now the women were kind of getting a little creeped out and feeling a little uneasy. And they were convinced that little man they saw was the one playing the music for them. The, weird, the weirdest thing, though, is that at one point, while they're sitting there creeped out, listening facing the direction of the woods where that music's coming from all of a sudden it starts coming from a completely different direction on the other side of them they're pretty weirded out but eventually the strange music fades away after about 10 minutes and they fall asleep they've never experienced anything like that ever again after going back to that site but they've remembered that story for a long time i've told it to whoever would listen what do we think? For a second, when you said the uh, raccoon went up to the uh, the gnome, <laughs> you're like, oh, they're gonna fight. I thought it was no, I yeah. <laughs> yes. He tears its head there's off. A quick, real quick, well, oh real God. quick. There's a from another podcast. <laughs> you're gonna tell a story. And I listen to. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah. Very very brief. It's it was another like fae folk little people story and basic the the TLDR is this couple bought a house and then one night they saw a gnome what looked like a little garden gnome at uh their koi yes. pond that they like put <laughs> in their backyard and they watched it take a fish out of the pond and bite its head <laughs> off I tried looking for that so story I thought and could that not was... find it <laughs> I thought that's what was going to happen to the raccoon. No, they're buddies in this in this encounter. Okay, good. Thankfully. Friendly wooden yeah, no, creature. No baby gnome. raccoons were harmed in this one, at least. Good. But no, that's a... Actually, that's they were harmed. I, mean, oh. I think these people are not giving enough credit to the best raccoon flutist. Is flutist? <laughs> Flautist, I think. Right? It's ever lived. Flautist? Flautist? I might be wrong. I don't know. Whatever it is... Um, they're clearly misattributing the music to whatever little person. That's they true. Saw. Yeah, they have, they didn't see with their own eyes who it was. So, very uh, well could be. Um, but the music switching directions—that's uh, I don't like that. Yeah, yeah. It's just some. It's again that goes into that like you know interdimensional thing. Maybe it can kind of like move around. Or like... there is another one. You know how birds will make calls and then uh, reply to each other? That's true. Like that? No. True. Maybe there is another one across the way. That's very true. Or it could have just been a bird. <laughs> I will say, it, they did, it It sounded like a very professionally played flute. Like a song. It was a uh, song. Like uh, It was like a musical piece, I should say. It wasn't like uh, like flute gotcha. sounds, like high-pitched sounds. It was gotcha. very haunting, whatever that would mean. I guess anything, any music is haunting if it's coming from uh, the woods at night right but yeah, from an unknown, unknown source. source it wasn't the mocking jay whistle thing no. from hunger games <laughs> this has a melody to it but it's kind of just short. i mean that's four notes right so yeah that's the last encounter that um 
I'm sharing from Ron Quinn. But I do have four ridiculous quotes that I'd like. Maybe if you guys are okay with it, I can post in the Discord and you can read out loud, whoever wants to, if anyone wants to. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Well, there's four of us here. Each of us will take one. Perfect. Perfect. Who wants to go first? Democracy. Okay. I'll go. I nominate. Oh, I was going to give it to our guest. Give him the craziest one. Crazy. Okay, no, no. Troy, you're going to go last then for the craziest one. Aaron, you'll go for this one. All right. (laughs) This came from a psychic's website, a guy that claims he's the most preeminent psychic in the world right now, where he wrote a whole article. He's not French. Uh, Maybe he is. I don't know. His name is Tana Hoy. (laughs) I didn't look much into him because I don't believe in a lot of that stuff. Um, He had a whole article written about gnomes, and he just made these crazy claims saying gnomes live 400 years and they like honey and they like this kind of food and they'll live in your and i'm like you're where are you getting this from what are you pulling this from i hate my this. sources i, I made it up so my sources the D monster it, manual it drove me crazy but scroll down and this is linked in the show notes scroll down and comments are enabled and people when they google gnome they must get this website and they just vent about their gnome issues. So, Aaron, go ahead and uh, can you read this for us from Rashad? All right. So we've got Rashad. My yard was gnomeless on a Wednesday. Got nine inches of snow on Thursday. And by Saturday, the snow melted and a gnome black beard, gold pipe, orange slash peach hat with green rings blue pants, and a yellow coat sitting on a rock appeared in between my hedges. I'm not much of a religious person, but for some reason I feel that if I were to remove him, some repercussions might happen. My questions, can I relocate him? Can I change the color of his attire? What does that mean? What do his colors mean, if anything? What should I do with him? Advice would be appreciated. Thanks in advance. Oh my God. Can I change the color? I like what? the implication of changing the color of the attire because that means you're not changing the clothing itself. You're yeah, just, just like the color. going out there and putting dye what on is, it. I also like how in the quote he put the description. He's like, oh, and a gnome. And then put the whole description on top of sitting on a rock just in parentheses. <laughs> I want to point out though, Aaron was actually very good. I wanted you to stumble over that, the fourth word, because the guy spells... He he spells it gamonless. My yard my yard oh, was gamonless oh. on a Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even notice. Maybe he got some of their special. <laughs> yeah, really, okay. okay, okay, next oh, one. No, we gotta next save one. him. Nick, Nick, you're up. Alright, this is from Beth Wilder. Yeah, yeah. Wilder? Probably Wilder. <laughs> yeah. About fifteen years ago, I was alone in the house, just sitting in my rocking chair, which happened to be a big heavy platform rocking chair. As I rocked backwards, I felt something hit the back of the chair really hard about a foot and a half off the ground, and whatever it was caused the chair to go forward, (laughs) knocking me out of it. I immediately ran to the back of the chair to see what happened, and I saw the back of a little man dressed in an olive green cap and clothes that had leaves on them. Running down the hall, he disappeared as he ran through the closed closet door at the end of it. He was so cute. I'll never forget his little elbows moving up and down as he ran so fast. I know he was just playing with me. Beautiful. Man, so they do have weight, right? At least this one did. And knock her out of a rocking chair. Like, what? 
Just like, yeah. did someone launch that's, it? That's going to be a powerful like the, strike. The, a gnome launcher? I don't understand what she's explaining <laughs> here. Launcher. I don't know. I don't know. Last but not least, I'm going to skip the one I would say just because it's just normal. I saw gnomes in my normal gnome in my stuff. bedroom door when I was a kid and they were watching me go to bed. Whatever. Kind of creepy, but last oh, yeah, but not totally least. Normal stuff. Yeah, totally normal stuff. Last but not least, Troy, um, please read this straight. You know, don't clean it up. Just, you know, please read this in Todd's own oh, words. Oh, of course. And we'll close the episode with this. All right. How do you guys think Todd would sound? Todd Peterson. I think just just quick look at give a quick you know skim of this comment and I think you'll be able to figure it out. <laughs> I have gnomes, little bastards. Uh, pipe. They are fifteen inches tall, give or take. Can only see them in reflections. Can't see them straight on. I saw them once in drug induced situation. <laughs> Almost caught one a, driving me crazy. Steal my tobacco. Hide my keys, phone. Tease my dog, X. How do I make friends with them or kill them? <laughs> Thank you. Thank you I like Todd. Rashad better. Todd. That may be one of the most truthful counts here is that I saw them once in, in drug-induced drug induced situation. Almost caught 1A. Tease my dog X. I think he means etc. ETC, but he puts EXT. Yeah. Ec- yeah, etc. Tease my dog extension. But uh, I, could, I think <laughs> that... That leaves us with kind of the question that that's on our minds uh, at the end of this. That all. How do I make friends with them or kill them? Yeah. Well, Frank, uh, I hate to interrupt, but I actually have a surprise for you today. You have is, a surprise uh, for today. Well, first of all, you know how some people say, "I'll believe it when I see it." <laughs> yeah. Tonight, tonight on this Wednesday at nine p.m., I would like you to believe it when you hear it, because believe it or not, you may have already made friends with one. Um. I'd like to introduce my fellow, or my friend, my my bearded, small <laughs> friend, Nick. Nick, take it away. <laughs> I was As soon as you were, like, beard, I was like, oh, I wonder where this is going. <laughs> Show notes will include a picture of well, Gnome. Tell us about Nick. your friends, Nick. <laughs> That's... I, always, I always joke that wouldn't it be funny if I was actually, like, 2,000 years old and you guys never knew? Well, funny enough, I'm actually just a gnome in disguise. <laughs> we got gnome. Just a taller than average gnome. Yeah, I, I'm a gnome with gigantism. <laughs> and definitely wait. wait a... Well, we already know they can alter their metaphysical properties. That's so. true. That's great. That's great. Well, I at least will not ask uh, how to kill Nick. Uh, I'll, I'll try and make friends with Nick. Yeah, I just want to change his attire. Yeah, I just want to... How can we change... No, just <laughs> no, the, the color. Just, just the, the color. color of your attire. Just the color. Um, I want my tobacco that's back, true. Nick. That's true. Nick's got to give us back. Uh, that I do need. <laughs> and next time you're in drug-induced situation, um, I'll So you mean there. right now, Wednesday right. at 9 p.m., all of yeah. us. I'll bring my dog extension. I will. Don't. I, I do have that. Don't worry. Well... There you go, folks. So next time you're hiking through the Catskill Mountains, uh, make sure to interleave between the trees to stay in a straight path. Uh, else you might find the sky's a green tinge. Uh, keep an eye out for Rip Van Winkle. And uh, what else? Don't don't sit in heavy rocking chairs in Ulster County. Thank you, Troy, for stopping in tonight to uh, to join us and to give your different perspectives. Thank you for having me. It was an absolute pleasure. And uh, maybe maybe I'll have some stories to tell you guys. One that day. would be wonderful. I would I would love Can't to wait. see that. Great. That's all for tonight. 
check out the show notes and all references used via the link in the description. We hope you enjoyed the show. We'll see you next Wednesday at 9 p.m. One hundred and thirteen, one hundred and seventeen, ninety seven, one hundred and ten, one hundred and sixteen, one hundred and three, one hundred and ten, one hundred and eleven, one hundred and nine, one hundred and one, thirty two, one hundred and twelve, one hundred and four, one hundred and twenty one, one hundred and fifteen, one hundred and five, ninety nine. 115.